I don't want to be doing this. I can't be doing this. I don't want to have to tell my supervisor about this. I don't want to have to tell the guys in Bible study when purity comes up that I'm also struggling. So it was just a lifestyle of shame. Hey, welcome to the show here. I have with me Ben Bennett from Josh McDowell Ministries. Ben, it's good to see you, man. Hey, Drew. Thanks for having me on the show. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm super excited. Ben and I have written similar resources for Christian men to find freedom from porn. And this comes from our own stories. And today I am super excited for everyone watching and listening to hear your story. Ben, how long have you been free from porn? I've been free from porn for about six and a half years now. Yeah, porn porn and masturbation as well. That's fantastic. So it's been... An interesting road for sure, um, but it's awesome being being free and, and living free from it. Yeah, and I know your story incorporates not just sexuality, but also emotional health and mental health, and I want to hear all about that. Ben, what was it like, what was life like before you experienced that freedom? Ah, sometimes it's hard, honestly, to think back because it's been been so long, and and the things that tri- that used to trigger me don't anymore. Or uh, you know, now walking in freedom, it's it's almost like I have a a new brain. It's just been been so long. So things that used to trigger me, things that used to be tempting, the thought processes I used to have. So I have to really think back on it. Um, but I remember being so full of shame. I not only felt shame because of my own behavior in what I was doing and being involved in ministry, leading in ministry. I was in a college ministry, leading Bible studies, doing evangelism, all of that. Started working for Crew, the campus ministry of Crew, still struggling with all of that. So it was like I kept making all these promises to God that I would stop. I, at one point, was able to shame myself into stopping. And I think that's what kept me free, free, quote unquote, because I wasn't really free for months at a time. But just the shame of, I don't want to be doing this. I can't be doing this. I don't want to have to tell my supervisor about this. I don't want to have to tell the guys in Bible study when purity comes up that I'm also struggling. So uh, it was just (laughs) a lifestyle of shame, but also feeling shame about who I was. I didn't really like myself as a result of, you know, just growing up and, and feeling like um, the black sheep in my family, not feeling like I fit in there, in the friend group, um, being into different music than other people were into, um, being bullied, uh, just being picked on again and again and again, being a little bit overweight, also taking my faith seriously in, in high school. I mean, just being bullied for that. So there was this sense of shame about my identity. And then that was furthered by the behavior that I was caught up in with pornography. Um, but it was, it was exhausting. That would probably be the word that, that I would use. <laughs> exhausting the amount of mental space that it took up just between the shame and worrying about the next time I would fall and worrying about all the temptation and 
it was all consuming and exhausting and just a huge burden. And in addition to that, I just felt so much isolation and distance from God. Not that he had turned away, but when I had doubts about his character because of pornography or doubts about his power to set me free or um, when I turned away because from him because of pornography and felt so much shame, it was like I struggled to be close to him. The same thing was true with my friends, my guy friends, my female friends. I felt so bad about myself in, in this behavior that I couldn't, uh, well, to be known and to be loved, I would need to share everything. But whenever I would go back to porn, I'm going to wait. I, I would always wait a couple of days till the shame started to dissipate before I would open up. Um, but those days were a miserable existence. It was normally two or three days after a, a relapse of just, I'm sleeping in. I'm not really talking to anybody. I'm running from God. I'm just trying to survive until the, till the shame goes away. Um, and, and that's not what I was created to experience. Amen. Yeah, man, I, you painted such a miserable picture. That was one <laughs> of the most depressing <laughs> pictures I've heard, but it's so accurate. Um, yeah. And one of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon says, the most miserable man on earth is the half committed Christian. Mm. Just miserable. He's just enough into God to be miserable in the world. He's just enough in the world to be miserable in God. Mm. And and I feel like that experience of just downright misery is, is what you were talking about. And one of the things that really strikes me is how even recovery can be miserable. Yeah. When we do it because we're ashamed of our behavior and we try harder and we white knuckle it and it's so stressful, it can feel like a different prison cell. Like we're going yeah. from one prison cell to another. Throughout that time, there was, there was, it was like my, my addiction switched. My addiction from pornography and binging switched to a, an addiction to religion and purging wow. and just being obsessed with the holiness of God or the um, just going all in on, on the purge and getting rid of all sexual thoughts and all sexual talk and pornography. And then I became addicted almost, I would say, or at least I was finding identity in the performance um, like, like a Pharisee, like the amount of time I was free from porn and then comparing my story to others and then started early on in, in recovery, which would have been nine years ago, I think, or eight years ago. Um, the first couple of years, I was still binge purging and I started leading accountability groups or guys through certain resources. And that's really when the shame came in that motivated me to stay, to abstain. But like I said, I, I started becoming obsessed with sobriety um, and, you know, really counting the days. Not that that's a bad thing, but mm -hmm. I, felt, I felt good about myself, you know, and, and that was just another way of compensating for shame, compensating for the fact that I didn't feel good enough or like who I was. Um, so I, I swung the opposite way and it, yeah. and that was, that was 
miserable too. And I think it took a couple years before I started to not really care. Like, I don't care how long I've been free. I don't care who knows that I'm free. Um, I just care about living healthy and walking intimately with Jesus and others and helping people. And that's, that took a while. And, you know, I've been free for six and a half years, but it was probably only in the past three years or so that I started to think, how, how absurd is it that anybody that I would take, that I would boast or take pride, which is really just compensating for shame, I think, that I would put identity in how long I've abstained from sin. Like, that's absurd. And, you know, just throughout recovery, learning more and more about how good God is and how gracious he is and experiencing him as a loving father. Um, I finally would say I've kind of, it's like the pendulum swinged, like full on addicted, full on addicted to legalism <laughs> and abstaining. And now in, in the middle um, where it's, yeah, I'm, I'm free and I'm not going back, but yeah. I'm not obsessed with, I'm not obsessed with abstaining. I'm not walking around thinking about all the times that I'm going to be triggered or tempted. Why? Because it's been so long. Um, Romans 12 two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What we know about neuroplasticity, the neurons that fire apart, wire apart after so long of, of not being triggered by certain things, not going back. It's, it's like I have a new brain, a new lifestyle, one of, of health and of enjoyment of, of God and others throughout my daily life. Um, yeah. So that is the opposite of misery. I mean, that is yeah. joy and flourishing and exactly what we were created for. And that description of going from addicted to addicted, man, yeah. that is so powerful. I feel like I've never heard anyone put it that way before. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but it's, it's true. And what I hear you talking about is not just freedom from the behavior of porn right. and masturbation, but freedom from the battle, from mm -hmm. the constant stress, from the feeling the need to control my sexuality and shut it down. It sounds like you found ways to express pleasure in your body and intimacy with others yeah. in healthy ways, even though to my knowledge, you're not married. Right. Yeah. yeah. So how does Single, that work? Not married. And as I've been thinking about throughout the years and doing research and writing on this stuff, um, and I think early on, yeah, I, I, so I wrote a resource called Living Free with Dr. Ted Roberts of Pure Desire and a guy named Brett Butcher for single guys. You mentioned that both you and I, it was cool a couple of years ago when we met, like mm -hmm. we were the only two guys that I know of in the world who had written anything that was holistic on the topic of finding freedom from, from pornography um, that was like a recovery program. But when I wrote that, I think there was, if I think back on the language, there was some of this battle language or of fighting, fighting sin. But the more I've studied it and looked at the scriptures, I'm not convinced that we're supposed to fight sin, but we're supposed to flee sin. How can we fight sin if Jesus has already defeated it and dealt with it? Now we just walk victoriously in the path that he has provided. And so for these unhealthy choices, He's provided 
healthy choices. In the research I've done, I found, you know, obviously pornography releases a huge amount of dopamine. Well, when, and, and a lot of times we go to it when we feel rejected, we feel disconnected, we feel lonely. Well, you know, it also releases dopamine and oxytocin, this bonding agent in your brain, healthy relationships, being connected. So when I feel rejected, when I feel lonely, if I call, you know, one of my close brothers, one of my close friends, and I reach out and process the emotions and the pain of life that I'm going through, I'm going to get the same theme that pornography promises, but in a much healthier, satisfying, sustainable yes. way. Yes. And it is sustainable because when your dopamine receptors get flooded, it actually shrinks your capacity to experience pleasure. Mm. And by going through the channels we were designed to go through, meaning connection with God and other real people, it actually increases our receptors. So, mm -hmm. so by getting more pleasure, we actually, in the end, get less. Yeah. Whereas if we're willing to settle for um, maybe less of an overwhelming experience by having a real person to talk to and to bring my emotional pain and my trauma to like in the end, you're going to be more joyful. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I think early on in my recovery, and I think so many th people think this way that, that when you're giving up pornography or giving up sin, that you're actually giving something up. No, God is providing a better replacement that's going to be more sustainable and, but, but we just don't know that. And, I, you know, thinking about, uh, what is it? Um, James one, the cycle of, of sin, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin leads to death. If you think about what is that desire actually about when I'm tempted to go to pornography, it's not just some random lust or because I'm just way too horny or because, you know, um, my sinful nature. There's actually a God-given desire behind that. And something is triggering it. Is it you feel rejected and you want acceptance? Is it you feel lonely and you want connection? Is it um, you shared your opinion and somebody didn't affirm your feelings? What is the desire there that's being conceived? And then there's an option in that moment. Either I give birth to sin, I go down this pathway of coping of surviving the chaos of this world, or I go down the, the pathway of responding and getting the needs met, my needs met in a healthy way that God has designed because God cares about us. He cares about our desires, our needs, and he's not, he's not a prude. He's not trying to <laughs> hold out. He's not trying to hold out on yeah. us. Like I know, you know, he's, he's trying to provide us something so much better and satisfying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. And gosh, you and I have experienced that. Mm -hmm. There are some guys listening who are like, I've never experienced that, you know, mm -hmm. and it's hard. It's hard to trust that that's true. Yeah. When you're stuck. So hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the best ways that we've, we've found in order to get those needs met, get those needs <laughs> met. The old tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, is 
to to find those brothers, those allies who mm-hmm. we can depend on. Ben, who is an ally who has played that role in your life? I've had lots in in the journey um, throughout the years, and and some have come and gone. They've been there for a season um, or a couple years. Uh, it's it's really hard when you think about okay, this has been an eight-year journey for me. And it would have been ideal that the first three guys that I was in group with um, were still a daily part of my life. But, you know, that's not just the reality. So what I've had to commit to is this is my lifestyle until the day I die. Um, And that's the way I was designed to live. I will never live a life without... I will never live a life with secrets anymore. I just can't. Um, I need to be fully known and fully loved, not just to stay sober, but because that's what I was created to experience. That's God's design. And it's so satisfying. And I'm not going to give the enemy any, any playground or any amount of playroom for those things that I haven't confessed or shared with others um, to, to shame me you know, I'm going to share everything. So now I have a guy, his name is Alvin. And we talk about once a week and text one another throughout the week um, about everything. And oftentimes, because, um, you know, we're, we're not relapsing. uh, It's just about life. It's about our emotions. It's about the stressors. It's about all the precursors that in the past would lead up to a relapse. But now, now we have other unhealthy ways of, of coping. Like, Hey bro, hard week. I'm really tempted to go eat a bunch of Taco Bell, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or, um, I'm, I'm just getting really anxious and angry about the situation and I'm responding that way. And I'm getting exhausted, just supporting one another throughout the week. But I will say early on the first and, and, the reason why now I feel comfortable having one guy um, is because of the journey the past eight years. You know, what I encourage other guys to do and, and girls, and especially in the early years until you experience lasting sobriety, I encourage people to have three, maybe four people that they're daily talking to. Um, because especially as that, that new lifestyle is developed, these people are point out, pointing out your patterns, your blind spots. They're helping you understand how your family of origin or past trauma or difficult unmet needs or difficult experiences may be playing out now in, in the present. And that will save you years to identify those patterns early on. Um, because those are, those are coming out each week in, in the triggers and in the temptation and what's setting you up to go, to go back to porn. So I had that for about the first five years. Um, and I did about four years of, yeah, four years of group work where I was doing 30 minutes of homework, five days a week, a weekly two-hour meeting, um, morning and night meditations, phone calls, texts throughout the week. Four years. And in addition to that, hundreds of hours of therapy and of trauma therapy. Um, so it's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a lot. And 
in it and depending on your level of the issues you've struggled with like for me it's been a lot of mental health stuff as well and trauma and um what else food addiction and all of that so um but but i would say early on i wouldn't have wanted somebody to tell me that you know Mm. and i didn't need to know that because um I, i committed to one year of recovery of group work of therapy and it was just so cool because it was holistic it was so cool to see and that was with dr ted roberts that guy saved my life <laughs> it was so and cool many to others see. yeah um so cool to see how how much i grew with the lord and with others that year and how much i learned about jesus i mean to me, it was like very, very intense discipleship. So I, I loved it so much. I grew so much. What seemed like a burden going in, oh my gosh, this I'm in this group going through this stuff about porn, you know, knowing I have a problem. It became a joy because I learned so much more about thriving and health and started to taste and see and experience it. And then by the end of the year, it was like, I'm not going back. I'm going to continue doing more group work, doing more therapy, doing more. Um, it, it was just so cool to see that, that switch that, that yeah. happened. And that's what you were talking about with neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Just like it becomes easier and easier to go back to porn the more we use it, it becomes easier and easier to choose health and relationships and self-care the more we practice it yeah exactly a lot of times i talk about this like imagine if you've been walking on your feet for however long you've been walking 18 18 years your college student 19 20 um and then what if that became that was the norm that's how you every day that's what you did that's how you lived then all of a sudden you had to learn to start walking on your hands and how difficult that would be the first day, the first week, the first month or two. But at some point it becomes your default way of thinking. You would wake up in the morning, get out of bed and just end up, Oh my gosh, I'm on, I'm on my arms. I'm on my hands. I'm walking. And then the more and more you do that throughout the months, throughout the years, um, you grow and your arms become strengthened and you unlearn probably how to walk on your feet and it's easy and natural to walk on your hands. And that's, that's kind of what it's like, I would say, moving from unhealth to health. Um, and this is a ray of hope for so many of us who feel like, okay, I'm doing the work. I'm going into my past. I'm going into my childhood. I'm meeting with a coach or a counselor and it's so hard right now. Like if what you're saying is true, there will eventually come a point that it becomes almost automatic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's so easy to focus on the future. I mean, even now, and here's what's crazy. Okay. Um, six and a half years sober, but still my default is well, this part of my life still isn't healthy or that part, or, you know, it's, it's 
so much, you know, I, I think it's easy and was easy for me when I um, was heavily addicted to think once I get free from porn, everything's going to be better. And don't get me wrong, a lot will be better, but the voice of shame, the inner critic that's always in, inside of you um, trying to improve you so that you will finally be acceptable to people, that's where a lot of the focus needs to be as well. Being okay with where you're at in the journey, learning to love and accept yourself by seeing who God says you are uh, and who other people say you are and, and what's biblically true of you, being made in the image of God, being um, God's son adopted into his family, learning to, to drill that into your head on your good days, on your bad days. Um, I'm convinced that so much of this journey is about unlearning what the world and pain has said we are and relearning who God says we are. Um, because like I did for years, we can put our identity in our performance or abstaining from porn, but then another thing's going to come along. Oh, I'm not skinny enough. Oh, I don't have a good enough degree. Oh, I don't have, I haven't, I don't have this many followers on Instagram, uh, in ministry being a speaker. Oh, I, I don't have that much money. Oh, I don't have the car that that person. And it's, that is still the addictive shame narrative, the inner critic saying, once you are a little bit better, you will finally be acceptable. But we've got to call that out and realize it in our, in our lives and learn to accept who God says we are regardless of, of our performance. Absolutely. Ben, how do we find joy on this journey? Yeah, I think so many times we can think that it's all about the destination. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll get this coach. I'll join this group. I'll have a accountability partner. I'll do this until I find freedom from porn. And it's all, it's good to have goals. It's good to focus on getting free. But what I've learned in my recovery and the past eight years is so much of the joy is in the journey. We need to have goals and we need to focus on the destination, but don't miss, as they say, the forest for the trees. Don't miss what the daily joy it is to live into this new pattern. I think back on my first couple of groups and how, how many healing moments there were. I still think back on moments um, of people sharing things that they've never shared and feeling so loved and accepted, um, of the relationships that were formed, of the relationships I have to this day of the moments uh, along the journey where I, I heard exactly what I needed to hear in that moment that healed a past experience that I had had. So to, so to take it one day at a time and see this as um, a, a journey, like, okay, today, God, don't let me miss out. I remember one time praying that consistently. Don't let me miss out on what you have for me today. I don't want to be so focused on next year or the next five year, 
next five years or where I'm at that I miss, how you're going to show up and do something amazing today. Um, and those are the experiences we need to remember and, and hold on to. Um, and so much of, of recovery uh, of healing is about today and learning to be present and learning to, um, accept who God says you are today, despite your performance. And that's going to go a long way because when you get free from porn, um, there's going to, like I've said, there's going to be other things, or maybe when you get married and there's something that your wife says to you that makes you feel rejected rather than being super reactive. If you've learned to be, to enjoy the journey and to be present in the moment and accept who God says you are, despite your behavior, then in those moments, it's going to carry over and you're going to be able to be respond rather than getting angry and it turning into a, a big argument. That's just one example, but there's so many examples. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you said about learning how to be present. That's something that I'm still learning all the time, especially carrying my smartphone around. Yeah. Um, and Ben, yeah, me too. I, yeah uh, you know, we're both doing a lot of social media right now. I mean, how do you be present in the middle of using? social media for ministry. Yeah, it's such a challenge. And especially because it's, it seems justifiable, like, okay, this post in writing this, and I know relatively how many people are going to see this. And I think it's going to go over really well. And this is, this could be what God uses today to really motivate somebody to get help or to stay on the journey they're, they're on. So I think balancing that um, with, and it's true in ministry in general, it's like there's all this opportunity, but a yes means a no to something else. Yeah. So if I'm saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? And before social media, it was like traveling all over. You, there's all these opportunities and people in ministry struggle with this. Like, should I go on that trip? But it's my kid's birthday and, mm -hmm. but it's this opportunity and it will impact these many lives. So just having the, the rhythms of um, throughout the day, trying to be present where I'm at and still learning that. But one thing I do, or one thing I did a couple of years ago, which was awesome, was I decided to start keeping my phone on do not disturb 24 seven. Wow. And I know some people say with my job, I can't do that. I'm like, Maybe you can, <laughs> maybe you feel like you can't, but you might be able to, um, but keeping my phone on 24 seven and only checking it when I consciously choose to, rather than being addicted to the notifications. Yeah. And, um, I knew, <laughs> I knew this lifestyle had taken root and people were respecting it. When Josh McDowell said, Ben, I've realized I have to call you twice in order to get it to go through because it, it's on do not disturb. So the first time it gets cut or it doesn't come through the second time it, it, uh, it rings. So, um, that's just become a, a lifestyle. The uh, a second one is I keep all the notifications for emails, for apps, um, the badges off because otherwise, and that's what they're creating these apps to do to, you know, get you addicted to them and you get a surge of dopamine. So, 
That's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's so freeing to say, I'm going to check this because I, I want to, not because I'm being notified and badgered by um, a phone to do so. So that, that's really helped a lot. Yeah. And I asked that question selfishly for me because that's a yeah, growth edge you that, yeah, that I'm pushing into. And I'm actually going to do a little experiment and try that out and see uh, who gets mad at me and if it's worth it. So I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Um, a huge part of this journey is turning our digital devices into part of the solution, not just mm -hmm. part of the problem. And I love how uh, one way you can do that is by following Ben V. Bennett on Instagram. Uh, ben, how else can people get in touch with you? Yeah, Ben V. Bennett on Instagram. I'm also, I have a Facebook page, which is Ben V. Bennett too. Um, I'mlivingfree.com is my website. It has a bunch of articles and more about my story on there. Um, and then on josh.org, um, josh.org slash Ben. Uh, I got some videos up there, blog posts, all Great. of that. So. Yeah. And I've been enjoying your content and I think people watching and listening will get a lot out of it too. Mm. Um, so thanks for coming, man. Final question. What is your favorite part about being free from porn? It's probably just the satisfaction I have in, in life now. A lot of times, a lot of times I used to, I, or I like to use the word thriving. I feel like I went from surviving to thriving. Um, not every day. I mean, there's still mental health struggles. There's still the inner critic coming up. Um, there's still discouragement, but there's been such a shift to now focusing on Wow, today is a gift. Life is a gift. Um, I'm happy and satisfied with my friendships, with my deep connection with God. I feel like I have new eyes to to live and to give uh, to other people in my life. And now, using my story or seeing God use my story to help other people find freedom and healing from pornography, from hurts, from different struggles that they get caught in. It's such a, such a joy. It is so satisfying and it's satisfying to talk with you, man. Thanks for coming yeah. on the show. And uh, so much dopamine and oxytocin <laughs> for us. <laughs> yeah. Going through the good pathways to get there. Yes, Good pathways. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on the, on the show. It's been, been a joy. Yeah, it is. And for everybody out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son. In you, he is well pleased. <laughs>